Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Continuing controversy over Pascal Dunhu's election expenses, top ministers close ranks to back their colleague. I very much support the fact that he has made a statement, is fully willing now to cooperate and engage with SIPO, but he absolutely can and should continue uh, in his role in Ireland, in the Irish government, and indeed as president of the Eurogroup as well. Winter weather warnings as the country faces another blast of bitterly cold Arctic air with more snow showers on the way. Some more possibly widespread snow showers tomorrow, especially tomorrow evening with a risk of some heavy showers. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV and have your say in our nightly interactive poll on violence and public transport. Sinn Féin is look, looking for Pascal Donoghue to appear before the Dáil when it resumes later this week to provide more details surrounding expenses arising from his 2016 general election campaign. Earlier today, Cabinet colleagues of Minister for Public Expenditure Pascal Donoghue said they accept his explanation. I very much support the fact that he has made a statement, is fully willing now to cooperate and engage with SIPO, but he absolutely can and should continue uh, in his role in Ireland, in the Irish government, and indeed as president of the Eurogroup as well. What was really clear about his statement yesterday as well was um, the, the immense regret and the, very, the sincerity of, of his apology. Well, I'm joined on my panel tonight by Fine Gael Senator John McGahan, Sinn Féin TD, Matt Carthy, journalist and author Valerie Cox, and by independent.ie political editor Philip Ryan. I'm also joined on Skype tonight by John Devitt, Chief Executive of Transparency International Ireland. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, so about um, these allegations and what Minister Pascal Donoghue has had to say, Philip Ryan, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little bit around the background to all of this and where it's at in terms of an investigation now. Well, it all dates back a good few years to the general election in 2016, when uh, during that campaign, uh, this um, man, this uh, CEO of the, uh, they're called the engineering group, uh, a very successful engineering firm, he paid for work to be done on behalf of Pascal Donoghue. So he had these, he had a, a group of people, six people put up posters. Uh, one of his vans, his corporate vans was also used. Um, Pascal Donoghue says, and he tells us, he, did, he wasn't aware at the time. He thought the people who were doing this were volunteers. He didn't think there was any fees involved. Um, questions have arisen in the last few months. Um, they were first put to Pascal Donoghue in November. Um, there's, there is now a CEPO investigation about, about how this was paid for and who paid for it. Pascal Donoghue himself has admitted that, uh, he, that Mr Stone did pay these people for the, this work, and he claims it totaled around... 
just over a thousand euros, and he admits he was wrong not to declare any of that. That this is where the problem lies. Why didn't he declare it when he first knew about it? Um, he he has told us that in 2017 he knew that one of the commercial uh, vehicles was used and he should declare that. He didn't declare that. He knew for, uh, in November he told the Sunday Independent at that stage that uh, his team looked into it and everything was above board. So. Look, he's, he he is now decided to be very transparent about the whole issue. He's done his big press conference on it. He's put all the cards on the table. It's now up to CPO to investigate it. But as um, one TD was, was pointing out earlier to me, that the fact that he's put his hands up and admitted to it, it makes a very easy job for CPO to investigate this. And it seems like it's an open shut case that he has done something wrong and breached the rules. OK, so the CPO, and just to remind people as well, what the rules actually are, around uh, political donations and around election expenses? There's a lot of different, uh, various different uh, rules out there about what you can, uh, you can pay for and what you can get and, and what donations you can get. The, the basic one for a TD is that you can receive, uh, a you have to declare a thousand euros worth of um, donations if you get them from someone in a calendar year, up to that amount. Um, if it's a corporate donation, you have to declare everything over 200 euros as far as I understand. Um, Mr. Dunhu has insisted it wasn't a corporate donation, that this was a donation, not to him as well. That, that, that's another um, aspect of this that, that will have to be looked into, is that he, he claims it was made to his constituency organisation rather than him, meaning there was uh, less onus on him to have declared it. OK, so there is a SIPO uh, investigation will, will now be launched. Do you believe there are outstanding questions, uh, Senator John McGahan, for the Minister to answer? No, I think he's been very clear, uh, particularly in his press conference on Sunday. Uh, and I think we now need to give SIPO the space uh, and the time to carry out the investigation that they have to carry out. Uh, Minister Dunham has been very, very clear that he's going to cooperate fully with it uh, in the hope that it's brought to a successful conclusion as quickly as possible. And just to play on some of the, uh, the timeline, that's what Philip has alluded to already. In 2016, an individual approached the Fine Gael organisation in Dublin Central and offered to put up posters, offered to help. Uh, that help transpired in that it was three nights of putting up posters and one night of taking them down. It was roughly 150 posters. Minister Donoghue or the Fine Gael organisation in Dublin Central... It wasn't Central, just one individual who did that job. It was three, four, five people. It's, you know, it takes a lot to put up posters. You need to press and hold the ladder. Using at least one van. Yeah. At a cost we've now discovered of close to a thousand euro because yeah, those yeah. people so were paid let's, for let's, that let's job. get into it. It's specifically six people. Uh, they went over three nights uh, before the election and one night to take them down. It was roughly about 150 uh, posters. Neither Minister O'Donoghue uh, or the Fine Gael organisation in that constituency paid these volunteers and they're under a very clear understanding that this was a voluntary aspect. Uh, and that's why that wasn't announced or wasn't put down on his election expenses at the time. But because am I right in saying if there are costs incurred somewhere along the line, they must <coughs> be recorded if it's done for free, but there is a cost associated with providing that service. It must be recorded. Uh, you're quite right, absolutely. So and it wasn't. Just to be clear about it, you're quite right that it has to be recorded. But at the time, the minister was very under a very clear understanding, as were his constituency, that this was a voluntary basis. And the minute that he discovered that it wasn't that case and that it was paid, he amended his uh, he amended his <coughs> declaration. That was the right and proper thing. He's been very upfront. Did he do He's that? Been... When was that? So amendment? again, on the timeline, which Philip can add on to, he was made aware about this uh, late last year by the journalist himself. Uh, he was made aware in that sense that a complaint was made to SIPO. And then on Friday, he got word that SIPO were following up on that complaint and he made that declaration okay. all in the last 72 again, hours. Again, what we're seeing here is action following a complaint to SIPO. Um, 
Yes, uh, and that is the part of the legislation that's there. The legislation is there for us to make returns, but it's also there for so us to amend it. So declarations are made if somebody comes in and said, there's an issue here. They're, uh, they're, they're not, I mean, isn't this, the, isn't this at the crux of it? That this yeah, is from back in 2016? Yeah, of, the, of course. And I think what's also at the crux of this is the minister... Is it a problem? Is it a problem for Fine Gael? Uh, no, not whatsoever. The last few days have obviously been tough for Fine Gael with Minister English and now uh, Minister Donoghue. But I want to be just very clear about this before you move on to map beside me. The one thing that I would say about Minister Donoghue, which is acknowledged by people in the opposition and in government, integrity and Pascal Donoghue go hand in hand. He's one of the most honest politicians in Dáil Éireann. He has admitted this is a mistake. He has rectified it. He's doing everything to work along with SIPO to ensure that this is brought to a successful conclusion. Um, and it's unfortunate for Pascal because he, he holds himself to such an incredibly oh. high standard. Unfortunate for Pascal Donoghue, Matt Carthy. Well, it's unfortunate, absolutely. It's unfortunate that we're in this position that Pascal Donoghue essentially was caught out. These are, there are a number of outstanding questions. He did come and make a statement on Sunday, but within that statement, um, there is a narrative that stretches credibility, it has to be said. So people um, you know, might get bogged down in terms of the figures and uh, uh, you know, as if this is a, an omission of form filling. Um, Corporate donations over €200 must be declared and the corporate donor must be registered. Neither of those two things happened. Um, an individual cannot receive... who says it wasn't a corporate so, donation. So he doesn't. I, he says it was a personal donation. Individuals can't receive donations of over €1,000. He says it wasn't an individual donation, it was a donation to the party. Again, completely in contradiction to what the SIPO rules um, um, state. These are issues that go back to 2016 when the events themselves happened. This was um, a friend of Pascal Donoghue's company using their resources. And to correct you on one thing, it's not the cost incurred by the donor that must be registered. It's the value of the donation. So if, for example, and SIPO actually state this very clearly in their own guidelines, if a printer is to provide um, me with free leaflets or any elected representatives, we have to declare the value of the printing, not the cost to the printer. And therefore, it appears very likely that the actual substance of the donation was multiples of what Pascal Donoghue outlined at the weekend. So there are serious questions that need to be asked, not least of which is why in November, only three months ago, when the specific questions were put to Pascal Donoghue, he didn't correct the record. He actually told the journalists involved that there was nothing to see here, that this was a non-story, when that is clearly not the case by his own admission. Um, Valerie, to bring you in on this, um, because it has put focus on what's involved in running an election oh, campaign, yeah. how much priority is given and how conscious... Um, is a candidate of, of having their ducks in a row and having every detail of funding accounted for. Yeah, I mean, this is what makes his explanation laughable because I ran in the last election completely new to it. And I mean, I had my daughter helping me. The minister had the entire party looking after this aspect. And, you know, you're given plenty of time after the election. They contact you and you've got to give absolute details on everything. There is no way that the minister could have made a mistake. And I'm actually quite shocked to see the coalition partners, to see the senator defending the minister for flouting the electoral regulations. And let's call a spade a spade. That's what the man did. And saying, oh, he's given a great explanation now, his apology is sincere, that doesn't matter. 
Why did he actually do it? Why didn't he know what was going on? If you're running for election, it's your business to give the, complete, the exact information, the completed mm. information afterwards. And that is what he did not do. Yeah, John McGahan, you're also a senator, but you did run for election. So, yeah. I mean, would you so have I've... been aware of all the spending, where it went on? There's a lot of form filling, as Valerie has to yeah. say. So I've put myself before uh, four elections now, <clears throat> two local elections, a general election and a Senate election. Um, my dad is uh, 69 years of age. He put all my posters up, so I didn't have to declare anything like that. But uh, it is a part we have to play, and it's part that every candidate has to so play. So you do? So you're very conscious yeah. of it, would you and say? Absolutely. So is this and oversight really surprising, Just to go back to the point there, the, and, and I cannot say this clearly enough, the minister was on the clear understanding that this was done voluntary. The clear understanding that it was done voluntary. And he... Did that and that when he, and he did that when he sorry, by sorry, people Matt, he didn't know. Uh, Matt, I didn't shout you down. I'm and I've been, I've been on debates with you before and you won't intimidate me. So if you don't interrupt me, that's I'm all right. I'm not trying to intimidate would, you, but what, what I'm what saying, I, sorry, what I'm asking is, you is a question. This is classic. What I'm asking you is a this question. This is classic, no, Matt. Are you Can I just let Matt ask that question? Sorry, is Matt the interviewer here? I want to answer. No, I'm clearly the interviewer here, but I'm actually interested in what Matt has to ask you, What I'm asking you is, are you suggesting that a, a number of people who Pascal Donoghue didn't know voluntarily put up posters on his behalf you will without know, him asking you, Sorry, them. you will know yourself, Matt, from your elections, and you've been involved in politics since 1999, that people come into elections, they offer help, they offer to volunteer, and that can be anything from driving people to a polling station to putting up posters. Pascal Donoghue had somebody that came to him offered to put up posters, mm -hmm. and Pascal took him at face value that his understanding was that this was a voluntary aspect. If Pascal had have known that these people were and being paid... what about paid, when he was asked about if, it in... No, when he realised that the, the, in 2017 that there was a cost associated with the use of the van? Yeah. The, the, that's a very... You about that, that and there was no change? That's I a very fair point. The van cost 100... Point. The van cost 140 euro. Uh, it cost 14 euro an hour to rent a van for 10 hours, and that's what that cost was. He was made aware of that Is in 20. He was made aware of that in 2017 by the same journalist, uh, and he didn't. Uh, he didn't update his register at that time. He should have. No. So he didn't he should do that. Have. At he, that point, he, he absolutely should have at that point. Okay. He has okay. recognised that, and he's rectified it now. And, he's, and, and he has apologised. And John Devitt of Transparency International Ireland, thank you for joining us um, tonight. What do you make of this situation, the controversy that's arisen here, and what questions do you feel need to be answered now? Well, I think it's worth making the point that there's a distinction between the legislation governing this particular issue or controversy and the one dealing with or related to uh, the controversy surrounding disclosures of interest uh, by uh, Robert, Troy, uh, Robert Troy and uh, Damien English, uh, which were governed by the Ethics Acts. The standards, uh, in this case, we're dealing with the Electoral Act. Uh, the Standards and Public Office Commission is responsible for, largely responsible for three pieces of legislation, the Electoral Act, the Ethics Act, and the Regulation of Lobbying Act. Um, the Electoral Act is far stronger, uh, on paper at least, than, than the Ethics Act. There are fewer loopholes uh, that that need to be closed in respect of electoral uh, regulation, and it appears in this case that the legislation is doing is working as it should. Uh, the, the the minister is under investigation by the Standards Commission. It should be also clear. It should also be made clear that the Standards Commission doesn't need a prior complaint to investigate a concern. 
related to to a breach of the the electoral act. I think where 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 there may be some confusion is in uh, the the limits uh, pertaining to receipt of donations, uh, the disclosure of donations, uh, and who is actually responsible sometimes for reporting to the standards commission. So we've heard reports of limits such as 200 euros or 600 euros uh, flying around. It's it should be clear that there's an onus on uh, corporations to disclose any donations or to register as a corporate donor to make a, a donation above 200 euros. There's a limit on donations of a thousand euros to uh, candidates. And there's a requirement on those candidates to disclose any donations to the value of 600 euros. Okay. All right. Uh, it, but the, so, the, the point I should make is that uh, the, 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 there is this need for clearer guidance to, to candidates uh, and, and to, to, to office holders around their disclosure requirements under these under the legislation. I'm not sure exactly what this particular case says around this, or, or, or says about okay. the, the level of compliance more broadly with, with the legislation. Um, Okay, so it sounds like a case of maybe educating the politicians um, to an extent on, on some of the laws, uh, the, some of the rules that are in place, um, Philip. But, you know, from Fine Gael's point of view, uh, it does pose the question, is their house in order? Uh, it's, it's arguably one of the worst starts to the new year and, and to, to Leo Radker's mm -hmm. uh, tenure once again as Taoiseach. It's almost as bad as Michal Martin's start as Taoiseach when he lost two cabinet ministers. Um, but it, it, it is bad. And the, the problem for Fianna, Fáil, Fianna Gael rather, is that you have a, a senior politician working side by side with some, a big company boss involved in engineering, involved in construction, who subsequently was uh, appointed as a board member to the Land Development Agency. Mm -hmm. Pascal Donoghue says he has nothing to do with that. It's a happy coincidence. Maybe that's the case. But it, it's not a great look optics-wise when you have that type of situation with these type of people, people um, at the higher level of the, the construction industry, um, in bed with the, the senior politicians, yeah. putting up their posters uh, and the likes. And we did ask, we just, just to clarify, we did ask uh, Minister mm -hmm. Pascal Donoghue's office about mm -hmm. that. And on businessman Michael Stone's appointment to the board of the Land Development Agency. The public expenditure minister has insisted that he did not uh, recommend Michael Stone for the position to the state body. And on Michael Stone's appointment as chair of the Northeast Inner City Initiative, the minister's office says he was one of a number of suggested names given to the Taoiseach and to Kenny at the time. Minister Donoghue had no role in the appointment. Um, here's the reason the why to we say actually have these transparency, why we have annual declarations, why we have to um, submit election returns, so that the public can know for themselves at a time when these appointments are being made, whether or not the beneficiary of those appointments actually made a substantial corporate donation to a minister who I mean, has a role in all of these do, things. Do you think it's problematic, Valerie, in itself? Like, are donations a general issue? You know, can you really receive a donation and have the donor not expecting something in return? And I'm talking no. about this in general when yeah. it comes no, to, in to general politics. Terms, you're absolutely right. You cannot, because when you make a donation, particularly a substantial donation, you kind of own a little bit of that TD or that minister or whatever. And if you just follow the news, we've seen so many instances of people, you know, who've been 
sponsored or there's been donations during their campaigns and then you see them opening up the various factories and offices in their area. Now you might say that might happen anyway and maybe it would happen anyway. But I think we need a bit more clarity and I think SIPO needs it, to have more Is this the system team. though? Is this the political system? Are you owned uh, by donors, Matt? Do you I, get a... Do you get a you quit to help I you along in your life. I haven't had campaign. too many do donors, and certainly I don't think I've ever had a substantial um, donor in my p political Shin career. Fein have had plenty but of big yes, donors now, in fairness. The importance with all of these like things. It, is like if you look the at the American operation the and the amount of money you're getting from big developers over there, oh, big unions. I know. And like, there's yeah. a huge amount of money. Yeah, but you yeah. like, do get a huge like, amount of that, money. Like Sinn Fein is easily the richest party in the country. Okay, well, if you'd like me to answer. Operations in Canada, Australia, USA. So the important thing with all of these things is that there's full transparency. And that is what we strive to do. There is absolute mm. transparency in our US operation, for example, where no funds come into this state, but there are reports very regularly published and um, audited by the, the American same? authorities. They're open, the open, open to scrutiny, but whatever the story is, whatever the aspect, when do political donations are made, the least the public should expect is absolute transparency as to who made those um, donations John, so that at any point would in the future, that, if, there is a, if they are beneficiaries of okay. a government action, at least the public can decide for themselves. In that would you regard. agree with that, John? I think it's an utter laugh listening to Sinn Féin talk about transparency around donations. An utter laugh. Uh, you pertain to be an all-island party, but when it suits you, you take a couple of million quid in through Northern Ireland so you don't have to go through the same rules here in the Republic. So it's a laugh when I hear Sinn Féin talk See, about political are, donations John. and transparency. Week, but well, anyway, to move on to the whole... To move on to the whole... The sorry, without, without, without yeah, interruption. That's fine, John, and I do want to ask sorry, you because without, it's not without, just... Without, and without it's not just... Sorry, it's not just Sinn Féin. The Minister for Finance, who has responsibility for simple, is now facing serious questions. Matt, I want to put a question Is this the actual point of TV show to come on and just be constantly shouted down uh, by the opposition. I'm me. trying to answer questions here, Matt, as and best John, as I'm I can. And I'm trying to ask you a question. Okay. So, Fine Gael also receive political donations. Yeah. So when you're talking about, you know, Sinn Féin's house and whether it's in order or not, or transparency or other matters, it's something now for Fine Gael to strongly consider, isn't it? I think it's something for every political party and every candidate to consider. I think when we come to our donations and our rules around transparency and political donations in this country, we are very transparent when you look at it on a European standard and when you look at it in a European Union context, particularly when you compare it to other Western democracies, as Philip mentioned, like the United States, for an example. So we have very clear rules there. Um, we are very transparent with them. We all should follow them to the very best of our abilities. Uh, Minister O'Donoghue on this occasion didn't. But again, and I say this very, very clearly, the minister was under the very clear understanding that this was done voluntarily. If he had have known that okay. these individuals were paid, he would have said oh, that on his declaration. I need, I need to ask, just because there were more details that emerged around the Damien English controversy on the sale of property loans, uh, are there more questions there that need to be answered? Is there a need now for a dull statement from Damien English? We got the video online, but we haven't actually got a dull statement um, from the former junior minister. Um, that's totally up to the minister. Would you like, I to, would see have, it? Would you like to see it as I, a member of Fine Gael? I, I would have no issue one way or the other. Uh, what is, that I do yes? think, is that a yes? What I do think is the minister resigned very promptly. He held his hands up. He realised he was wrong what he did. And he resigned his ministerial career over it. And he did that straight away. But he, uh, he I is no still a TD. And, and I think it is uh, vital that he come before the doll. And it's important to say this because I represent a predominantly rural um, constituency. 
as do, um, does John and as does former Minister English. One of the big issues that we face with all the time is people who are honest in their declarations with the planning authority being unable to build homes in their com community. Yeah. They deserve answers as to how a minister managed to, um, at very best, um, ensure that there was misleading okay. information at the ha in the hands of the planning officials who are okay. making the de okay. determination we'll in respect we'll to his application. We'll have to leave it there. We are out of time on that. But staying... Uh, with me and coming up after the break, fresh calls for transport police to tackle violent behaviour. We speak to one bus driver about his experiences on his routes. Do stay with us. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Reminder about our nightly live interactive poll, which allows you to have your say tonight. Do we need a special transport police to tackle antisocial behaviour? You can vote online on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash vote or follow the QR code that's on the screen and we will bring you those poll resu results uh, very shortly. Now, Fine Gael Senator John McGahan, Sinn Féin TD Matt Carthy. Journalist Valerie Cox are still here with me. I'm also joined by Dublin bus driver Desmond Tai to talk about the issue of uh, antisocial behaviour in public transport and the recent suspension of some evening services on some bus routes in parts of Dublin. And Des, to come to you first on that, because you are a bus driver on the number 27 route, am I right? 27, 77 and that's, and that's one of the um, that's one of the routes that has been curtailed or suspended. Yeah because of safety fears um, along that route. More than that, there's been violent incidents um, that has scared and shocked, I'm sure, uh, commuters and drivers alike. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I say, the drivers are trained, very good training from Dublin bus to deal with these things. But the passengers aren't trained to deal with these things. They're frightening. They'll say, we've got all, every, all the procedures in place to get under control. The guards are needed are called. If ambulances are needed are called. But we're trained for that. But it's not right for the general public to get on a bus and have to witness that or have it happen to them. 
So what have you seen uh, along the route? Well, just before Halloween there last year, I was driving through um, Brookfield and Talla. Uh, a rocket came at the windscreen of the bus, you know, a Halloween rocket. That exploded, right? Understood that. It's a, it's a laminated windscreen, I was grand. But then I had another couple of bangs in the side. So I thought that was more rockets. I looked around. Two windows would have to be put through with rocks, missiles. Now, followed procedures, got under control. We did everything properly. When I got the bus to a safe place, I looked around and there was a mother with a young child. And that child was terrified. Look, these people are from the area. And they were sitting right by the window where the rocks Just went through. To, no, thank God they weren't because it was the luggage window, the luggage compartment, so no one can sit there. But for the will of God, do you know what I mean? If that bus was moving any quicker, the missile would have came through their window. When that happens, um, what sort of procedure do you do? You said that there's sort of procedures in place. So what do you do? Is there a panic button? Oh, there's a panic happens? button. Yeah, yeah. We're straight onto control. We have um, we have two buttons in the bus. One is for just general control, and there's an emergency button where control knows you need them now, and they're straight onto you. You're told to bring this bus to a safe place. Make sure everyone's okay. Do you need assistance? Do you need the guards? Do you need ambulances? So whatever the situation would be. It can be sorted immediately. Do you know what I mean? Like if someone was injured, they're looked after. Do you believe the attitude of the public has changed? Do you feel less safe now than you would have been on that route and on, on other routes? Do drivers feel that generally, that they're, they're more of a target or they're less safe as they go about their work bringing commuters around the city? Well, I feel sometimes the people in these areas, as I say, they're, they're hardworking people. They probably think we're just doing it because we can do it, we don't. Look, we're all working class. I want to get people home, I want to get people out shopping, I want to get them to hospital appointments, we all do. I mean, we're bus drivers, that's what we're paid to do, and we do it, and we like doing it. But when you have these incidents where this kind of shenanigans going on, if it's not safe for the passengers, because the passengers come first, they always do, mm. and then we're second, I mean, we're trained, as I say. But if it's not safe for them, we can't bring them in there for, to risk of that, you know what I mean? We're asking in our poll tonight about a dedicated transport police. You firmly believe that that's what's needed on the buses now? 100%. 100%. I mean, let's be honest about it. I was just talking to one of the guys there. If someone was walking down the street, there'd more chance of walking into a guard than they have a sitting on a bus. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's safer for someone to be sitting on a bus, as I say, let's say someone who didn't want to be approached by a guard. They know there's no security on the bus. Now, it's not double the bus's fault. Do you know what I mean? We just need a dedicated police force. And when these people know this, maybe more people would use it and feel safer on the buses. Yeah. Uh, John McGahan, the party of law and order, that's what Fine Gael likes to call itself. What about getting transport police? What about helping out people like Des? Not just Des, all the commuters that need to use that bus. People who rely on it to get to work, to get to hospital appointments, as he's saying. Grandparents, young children, people who need that service, who've had it curtailed, because the buses simply aren't safe enough. Uh, I think it's an excellent idea. Um, and when I was... Uh, I mean, doing this a... is not a new idea. No. And when I was doing a bit of research in preparation for this, Des, I was reading a lot of the kind of first-hand testimonies from colleagues of yours who work as transport workers. Mm. And one thing was clear, actually. It's not just an issue that's confined to Dublin bus or the Lewis or Dublin in general. 
this is an issue that transport workers right around this country face, whether you're in uh, a provincial town or a large city like Galway mm -hmm. or Cork. Um, and it's really simply not acceptable that transport workers have to go in on a daily basis and wonder, what am I going to come up against here? What type of intimidation, what type of violence might I be subjected to today? Like nobody who goes to work or any job should be subjected to that. So what are we going to do about it? Or what do I think we should do about it? Well, I agree with Des utterly. I think a dedicated, well-resourced transport unit within Ungarda Siakona, these people have to be members of Ungarda Siakona. It can't be a case of a, a quasi-transport police. They have to be members of Ungarda Siakona. Okay. I think if they were to come along, it would be a, a really good thing. The other thing that I would just... Can I just say, we have had... Uh Garda Siakona consistently pushed back on that. And Garda Siakona is not considering the establishment of a transport police unit at the moment. Um, we know it's something that the commissioner has said, we don't, we don't see it. Uh, we proactively engage with transport operators, including the National Transport Authority, the Irish Rail, Transdev Ireland. We provide a coordinated Garda presence in public transport to prevent and tackle antisocial behaviour. What do you think of that statement from the guards on it? Well, I, I actually think what the Garda Commissioner may have to do is to consider what the government and what we need to do in terms of public transport over the next decade. So we want to dramatically expand. Okay, so the government needs to push, push um, the Commissioner on this. The That's point what that I saying. would say is we are going to dramatically expand public transport in the next 10 years. We want everyone using public transport and we want them using it at all hours of the day. Mm. So if we're going to massively ramp up the level of public transport that we're providing. We're going to have to make sure that that's policed properly. And I think that's why, because we're going to utterly change how public transport is done in this country, I think we need to make sure that it's policed safely properly. And I think we can do that through a dedicated unit in Angarda Corner for public transport. Um, Difficulty is Matt, that the people of Tala have to ask less you on that, would you public be, transport And right would now. you be in favour of, of resourcing the Gardaí better to have this transport police unit, or should it be a separate entity how do you, Sinn Féin think it would best work? So yes, what Sinn Féin and Martin Kenny, our justice spokesperson, has been arguing for is a dedicated transport unit within on Garda But we have to recognise some of the cold facts. This is the record of the law and order party, as they like to describe themselves, under Fine Gael. There were 18% more Gardaí um, in the city in Dublin in 2009 than there are today. At the same time, the population has actually increased by 15%. So the, the burden in terms of policing um, is, is stretched and we see this right across communities in Dublin but also in many rural communities the story is the same. So in the first so instance we need to resource the Gardaí in order to um, recruit the necessary personnel in order to be able to provide that transport service. We can't do that um, in a so situation where we're dealing overnight. with... It. Well it can happen in this year if, if we start by actually providing the resources. So we actually have seen, and this it's particularly a case with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael senators, where they continually announce the need for a, um, um, a public transport unit um, within Ungarda Siakana. We actually had um, senators launching a document just before the budget. But guess what? Within the budget, there was no um, allocation for the, that, um, for the establishment of such all a talk, unit. John. So unless we actually talk. fund and provide the resources, it's not going to happen. Is it all talk? Uh, no, absolutely. I mean, how long has Fine Gael been in government for? Uh, it's, it's not at all. Uh, and one of the things that I'm going to do, because actually in my two years in the Senate, I've always had a real interest in transport. And what I would love to do this week, which I will do, I'm going to speak to Minister Simon Harris tomorrow right. morning with a view of meeting him this week about it. I think it's something we should absolutely look at trying to introduce as soon as possible. Okay, um, a, 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 an idea that um, John McGahan certainly would love to pursue. And um, Valerie Cox, what's your take on it? Um, older people, and I know you advocate for older people, mm. they feel... 
especially vulnerable, I think, uh, on buses. Very and vulnerable. we're not just talking, Des is yeah. talking about his situation, on one yeah. bus route or a couple of bus routes around a certain part of Dublin. It extends beyond that, yeah. doesn't it? Oh, it it's does. A, it's a country issue. It, I think it's very wrong mm. of us to put one man or one woman in charge of a bus because they're trying to drive the bus, take the money, look after people, be attacked. I mean, it's just appalling what we're doing at the moment. But in the early 90s, I lived in Germany and there was a major problem at the time uh, due to immigrants, really. And there was a lot of racism around and there was a, na a neo-Nazi party and so on. And it got so bad with the tax on buses and trains that they had to put up all these posters on the buses saying, Auslanders sind auch Menschen. Foreigners are humans too. It, it got that basic that they had to do that. And what they did then was they made sure that the police were travelling on the buses. Now, it wasn't on every bus, but particularly at night time and particularly in the dangerous areas. I mean, there was one area where the night of Kristallnacht, mm -hmm. people were, immigrants were living in a compound and the local people and the police had to go out and surround the compound to protect them. But the police travelled on the buses. You didn't know where or when they were going to be, but it was late at night and it did calm everything down. Yeah, I want to ask about that, particularly uh, the Garda viewpoint. And we know, you know, resources are uh, pressurised right across the, the, the front line. We're well aware of that, Des. You'd say it probably in your own instance as a bus driver as mm. well. But the fact that they say that there is a coordinated guard the presence on public transport to prevent and tackle antisocial behaviour. Have you had um, Garthi on patrol on your buses who just hop no. on, no. stay for the journey, no. see what happens? No. Oh, yeah. Ever? No. Knowing the problems that exist, especially along the routes you're talking about, that have now had to be suspended. Yes, exactly. So the whole lot of that area is without buses because they've just been forgotten about. Do you believe that it's a, a sort of a community that's been forgotten about? Is that how you see it as a wider that's issue? That's how I believe it, yeah. Because it's... I don't like mentioning names of communities because that way, like, I feel like I'm tired with the same brush. But, like, you go into the council estates, that's all I was going to say, council estates, and it's like as if they get the impression it's a no-go area. There's hard-working people living there, good people, and they deserve the service. You've talked about, um, I think you are talking before about having to clean up blood off the floor of your bus. Mm. No, we when don't do that now, no, because we have procedures in place. Yeah. The bus is put out of service and it has to go back. So there's but a bus that's after coming out of service where people down the road are probably waiting on it. Yeah. And when that happens, what, what are you thinking could just resolve this or would change things for you, I'll for your bus you, and the Claire, passengers It's very tomorrow. simple. A colleague of mine, Kathleen, was on here a couple of months ago. And it's the same thing I'm saying now and I'm getting the same responses, we look into it. We need action now. And it needs to be... We look into it, John. I mean, that's what you're saying, we look into it. You think uh, it's a great idea? I, I think it's... I think also down Do to the fact... you accept the frustration and oh, the absolutely. fear of Des yeah. and his colleagues? Uh, absolutely. And I'm not trying to offer merely more than words here, Des, but, like, that's just utterly wrong that you and your colleagues of not just Dublin Bus, but any public transport mm. worker in this country has to go in and face that alone. Or perhaps even if you're a female bus driver, you don't know where you're going to be at 9, 10 o'clock at night in an isolated area mm. and all of a sudden a situation presents itself. However, as I said to you earlier, 
the fact actually that we're going to extend public transport so much, it's just not feasible then for the Garda Commission. So you're saying or yes, this is very and likely also, and, and likely to be on the government agenda. The uh, issue I'm, around transport. Well, it, it also, I, I, as well I, as I a policing issue, because we've dealt I'm with that. Well, one thing that I am I know, certainly going to do is try and push this Simon Harris. But Matt, briefly, we're talking about expanding the bus services. I think one of the very telling things in this entire debate is that the Minister for Transport hasn't weighed in, hasn't actually engaged. It's all right for us as opposition TDs or backbench senators to say we need a public transport unit. I think that argument would gain an awful lot of weight if Eamon Ryan woke up and realised that part of his job is ensuring that public transport, when it is provided, needs to be safe for the drivers and passengers. Can we get the results of our nightly interactive poll? Uh, I think we can have a look at it now. Tonight's question was, do we need a special transport police to tackle antisocial behaviour? The result of that poll was 94% in favour of a transport police force and 6% against. Um, a very small minority against. They may have, do so for, for various reasons. Maybe not everyone would like to see um, a transport police uh, on our buses. They just want to travel without. Could, can you see that point of view at all uh, being expressed? Has anyone ever said that to you, Des? Look, everyone has their own opinions on what they want. But in general, like, the percentage always says there. I'm not being funny. Any party here, if they've got 94%, they'd be yippity doing about it. We're working on it. Do you know what I mean? Well, you know what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, you're right. That, that alone says it all. OK, well, there we will leave it. My thanks to my panel, to John, to Matt, to Valerie and to Des. Uh, lots more coming up after this break, including the latest on the cold snap and how to save money this January. If you've any left, stay with us. Ireland is once again in the grip of sub-zero temperatures as an Arctic cold snap takes hold for the next four days. Well, earlier I spoke to Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather about the latest winter weather event. Yes, indeed. There's been snow reported in parts of the north in Derry and also in the southwest in Kerry and in West Cork also. It's going to be very cold right across the country, already down to minus four degrees at my station by 9pm. So a really frosty night right across the country with icy patches and still some snow showers, mainly in the north, the west and the southwest. Uh, also some patches of fog with a risk of freezing fog. So you want to allow that extra bit of time in the morning to thaw out. And the cold weather advisory, it is in place until later on in the week. How bad might it get? Yeah, another couple of cold nights ahead, down to minus five, maybe possibly again the next couple of nights. Some more possibly widespread snow showers tomorrow, especially tomorrow evening with a risk of some heavy showers, which could give some snow accumulations. Again, primarily in the north and the west, but tomorrow afternoon they could make it that little bit further down the country. So couldn't rule out a snow shower just about anywhere really tomorrow. Staying cold then right up until Thursday morning, but we will see a very quick change Thursday night with rain moving in from the west and also bringing temperatures back up above 10 degrees for Friday. Okay, so the worst of it will be done by Thursday then, Alan. We're likely to see more moderate re temperatures uh, return after that, are we? Yeah, back up to 10 or 11 degrees for the weekend, but also, unfortunately, some more rainfall. Um, but definitely temperatures back up for the weekend. Alan Riley of Carlo Weather, thank you very much for joining us tonight with that update. Cheers. Well, bad weather and bills, it can only be mid-January. I'm joined now by Derek Hasty from consumersitebonkers.ie for some tips on saving money uh, this time of year. And Derek, you're very welcome along to the programme. It's always a tight month. It's one of the longest mm -hmm. um, of the year if you're waiting to get paid. 
What's your advice on making some financial savings if you can at this time of year? Yeah, I mean, it's always a good time to switch and save, but um, January is often a difficult month for people after Christmas, mm. but particularly now with inflation at a record high, gas and electricity bills at record highs, I think households are probably feeling the pressure. But my advice to people is always, you know, we're great in this country at switching our car insurance. And every time the car insurance renewal letter comes in, we, you know, we try to get a better deal, we try to get a better quote. Bring that to all of your other households' bills as well. So the passion and the energy that we have for getting good deals on car insurance, bring it to your home insurance, your broadband, your TV, your mortgage, your health insurance. Because Claire, you know, for most people, your maybe car insurance premium might be 40, 50 euro a month, maybe a little bit more. It's not an insignificant amount of money, but your mortgage could be maybe over a thousand euro a month. Mm. Your broadband could be over a hundred euro uh, a month. The um, health insurance could maybe be up to 200 euro a month. So sometimes I think we almost concentrate on the wrong bill where we should be looking for better value el elsewhere. Of course, something like mortgage, you could be fixed into a yeah. certain time period. So there's obviously all of that to consider, but no harm beginning to think that way. Yeah, and I mean, a piece of advice I'd always give to people as well is that you don't have to necessarily switch mortgage provider in order to get a better deal. Now, obviously, if you're on a tracker, there's some difficult kind of conversations that you need to have. Get good advice with an independent broker. If you're on a fixed rate, there could be a fee for breaking that fixed rate. But if you're coming to the end of your fixed rate or if you're on maybe a, um, a variable rate. Mm. Sometimes you don't even need to move. Sometimes all you need to do is actually check in with your existing lender. You just ring them up, ask for what's called a rate options letter to be sent out. And you could maybe save maybe anywhere from you know, 100 euro, maybe upwards just by maybe ticking a form. Banks are giving those deals if yeah. you ring up yeah. and just ask if you're tied into a fixed rate mortgage. Yeah, absolutely. Because mortgage rates have slightly come down in recent times, although now, of course, they're creeping back up. But another point as well is that the mortgage rate that you get when you take out a mortgage for the first time is obviously based on the amount of equity that you have. So if you're maybe a few years into the loan and then you come to the end of your fixed rate, the equity in your home has increased because the property price has gone up. So you're maybe entitled to a slightly better rate. Okay, good to know. Uh, tax refunds and credit, this is about going online with mm -hmm. revenue and you can make some savings there and get some money back. Yeah, so, I mean, we all complain that we spend or we pay too much tax in this country and you'd be absolutely bonkers, excuse to put, not to claim what's right for you. There's lots of tax that goes unclaimed each year. There's the rent tax credit that's now been introduced. That's 500 euro. Um, that can actually be claimed for last year and also next year and the next year after that. Usually when a tax credit is introduced, it's for the next year, but people can claim it now previously. So it's 500 euro back into your pockets. A bit of an issue though, is that you do need to be registered or your landlord does with their residence or the RTB. And we're hearing unfortunately issues that some of them aren't, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, if, a, if a landlord then for some reason chooses should a tenant ask will you will you please yeah. register and they do is that the sort of thing that can be backdated or anything like that or, or not it can only be backdated until last year so it came in in 2022 sure. um, so that's all that you'd be able to get it for and um, there's also then obviously medical expenses at 20% and then the working from home relief as well is something that people should be claiming for yeah that, that's, a con that's a new one now that people more people may qualify for so you, you can get money back for working from home yeah yeah, so you can get up to 30% back on your broadband, your heating and your lighting. Um, now, it does need to be apportioned based on the number of days you've worked from home. And it's not a tax credit, it's tax relief. So then you'll only get 20% or 40%. It's a bit complicated, but when you go on to revenue, and I have to say the revenue service, I think, is absolutely Do they make brilliant. it easy? They make it easy. You pull it in and you get it back. I would wonder, though, with so many of us working from home, 
I kind of feel a bit sorry for the people who can't work from home. And I would wonder if actually in a few years time, if it's actually the people who go to work, like the doctors, the nurses, every day into an office or into a hospital, who'd be able to claim the tax relief. So in short, get this tax relief while you still can. Yeah, you would wonder that because I'm sure there's people who are like, vital services and they need to go into a, a, an office space or a hospital or, or, or elsewhere and they don't get to avail of it. Um, other tips you can do, I mean, as well as that, we're kind of looking at a lot of people have a lot of subscriptions now. Is that an area you think you can make a few savings? Yeah, probably on you know, streaming services. Obviously, they've gone up in price. Lots of people have probably multiple ones. Something to remember is that there's no sign-up fee for any of these services. So if you decide to, let's say, cancel Netflix for a few months, maybe over the summer, uh, if you sign up again in September, you haven't actually lost out. Uh, there's going to be no extra fee. You just haven't paid it for a few months. Um, and Netflix will usually keep your viewing data for about 12 months, so it's a win-win situation. Um, looking at maybe reward schemes, so Revolut is a decent reward scheme. I think a lot of people will be obviously users, but they tend to just use it to maybe send people money. And they're offering now cash back of maybe two to three percent on most purchases or big brands. Check them out. Uh, not going to tell people to use or you know buy less coffees, but there is potentially a latte levy coming in, which will put twenty cents on every cup. So if you like a cup of coffee every day, that could be seventy or eighty euro a year. So maybe invest in a keep cup, uh, and then also just as well maybe look at you know. Sites like Refurb, Dalai, uh, Depop, eBay, if you want to buy maybe secondhand um, electronics. And in some, on some of those sites, you can actually sell your goods as well. Um, and also you mentioned about phone providers and mobile phone bills are a big outlay yes. for many people. Yeah, no, actually a good point as well. Um, moving to a SIM-only deal is another good idea. Um, so most people, they'll be in a contract for two years. They could be paying maybe 40, 50, 60 euro, but that's because you're paying for the phone. After that two years is up, you've finished paying off the phone. So I'd recommend maybe moving to GOMO, 48, spend only 10, 15 euro a month. And then if you need to buy a phone again in maybe a year's time or two years time, you can do it then. Um, but lots of people overpay on their mobile because like I said, they've paid off the phone, but they've been with maybe Vodafone at three for several years and they're still spending crazy money, 50, 60 euro that they don't need to spend. Yeah. And there are lots of data deals and all of that out there that I think, you know, as you say, if you don't shop around, you may not be aware of it and uh, maybe worth worth checking what's out there. Uh, my thanks to you, Dara. My thanks to all the guests on the programme tonight. That's it for now. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok. Tonight, VMTV. But from all the late team here, good night and do take care. <laughs>